heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. Well, certainly you will know the following quote that I give you, but try and remember who said this, okay? Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Or one day, we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States where men were free. Mm -hmm. Those words mean so much to patriots, to Americans, because we understand what those words mean. We understand. There's a lot we take for granted in this great country. Those words and that historical phrase and speech was from number 40, Ronald Reagan. Number 40. Those were the days, weren't they now? And he was simply pointing out that, uh, you know, America is it really it was we are an experiment. We always were an experiment. We were different than every other country. We were different than what had uh, been on this planet before. It, it was unique. This was we the people. We, we are the masters of that. Right. And uh, that, that's the whole concept of the United States of America, was states that were united. The power was with the states, not the federal government. In fact, we, we created the federal government, not the other way around, you see? And that's what people forget. They think, well, Uncle Sam, the feds, that's the big deal. But it wasn't supposed to be that way, people. That's called a runaway government. That's big government at hand. And that, of course, will take you down a path that you're seeing around the world where you see countries, uh, you know, they get off the path of what really they're about and they forget who the citizens are and then they become other things, which is really what a lot of people are questioning right now in this country, because things are not as uh, what we would call as what we grew up with, the, the normal days, the regular days, the, the America we probably took for granted. Now, listen, when we launched America Out Loud five years ago. Let me be clear on something. We understood what Ronald Reagan was saying. We understood what he meant. It, it, we, we cannot take this for granted. In fact, uh, right at the top of America Out Loud, you know the mantra here, liberty and justice for all, but there's a message and it's right there. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Isn't that what it really is all about? You bet it is. And that's what we do here every day on this program, The Voice of a Nation. Welcome into the program, my fellow Americans. This is Malcolm Out Loud, yours truly. And I uh, want to talk today about the big picture of a whole lot of things here. want to get into Generation Z, have some terrific people joining us on the program. All right. So, you know, there's a point to a big point to what we're going to talk about today, because I think there are a lot of people running around with their hair on fire. Let's let's face it. And we know that the country is in, in an un unusual position. And of course, there are a lot of people who 
that old saying that, you know, you either get involved in politics or politics will get involved in you. It, it rings very loud today, very, very loud, because a lot of people ignore it. They turn it off. They just turn the channel off. They don't want to hear it. They, they, well, they're tired of the buffoons in Washington for sure, but then they miss all, all the important things over the drama. Now, the other problem is the media that pushes their constant beat, beat narrative who are part of the problem uh, they, they uh, you wonder sometimes what really their goal is and who exactly they represent. But there is a lack of truth out there for sure. And it becomes uh, dangerous. We're at that point now. It's a very dangerous point we're in. It's hard to get any level of truth. You really don't know where to look for it. It's part of the problem that we're experiencing right now. You know, one of the things, there's a thread today also I want to talk about, even a little bit later in the program, and remind you, this thread that runs through our company, uh, our country, um, and, uh, well, of course, it is United States Incorporated, maybe, huh? And uh, that is that uh, there are a lot of people out there that want to bring America to its knees. And these are not just adversaries or enemies across the seas. That's not exactly, that's not even the problem. In fact, we, you and I know that because I talk about it all the time. We can deal with that sort of thing. It's the enemy within that is really, truly the problem. And that's, that's where we're going to, that's where we're going to fall short, people. There are people who want to bring America to its knees. They, they want to downsize America. They, America is a threat to a lot of people. It's that old arch fight we talk about all the time, good and evil, and it sits right here. And uh, so the infiltration of people into government agencies and into government particularly has a long uh, marred history, really. It goes back really to the 50s to Senator Joseph McCarthy, uh, McCarthyism and the communist and, you know, that whole era that we'll touch a little bit on today. And, you know, and then uh, I bring it to the Obama years and what Obama did to the government and the people that were put into position to in infiltrate these agencies. And then when we, the people elected uh, the businessman from New York, Donald Trump, why is it do you think he had the kind of problems he had? Uh, with those agencies in Washington, D.C. Why is that, right? Yeah, because they have minds of their own, and they actually, the more these people hang in D.C., the more they think they own it. And it just builds to that resume they're all looking for, and they become empowered, and that's where we lose. We lose our grip, and people forget what they went to. That's all changed from what the founders had envisioned when people went to Washington to serve the people. Uh, we, we, we elected our our you know, our citizens to go the representative government. That's what it was all about, right? That, that is it. But we, we're losing that, people. We're really, really losing that. The career politicians, all of that that goes with it. So, you know, another thing I always remember and is that uh, that classic, that classic comes to, every time we have this conversation, you know, that classic comes to my mind, Tom Brokaw, the greatest generation, in fact, how many times have I said to you, like, golly, if we don't start to get it right, we're going to go from the greatest generation to the most screwed up generation. And of course, Brokaw was, he created that classic uh, where he was uh, talking about the way World War II changed the uh, trajectory of our country, our great nation. 
and talked about the valor and the patriotism and just ordinary citizens and how they served that created that greatest generation. The question now I have for you today is, have we lost that completely? Is it totally lost and amiss with Generation Z? Is it gone? How, how, how do we recapture that spirit of America? That's, I guess, the message. If there's anything I want you to take from today, that's exactly it. How do we do that, you see? I'd like to introduce you today to a gentleman, Joe Mitchell. Uh, he's the president and founder of Run Gen Z. Now, this is a 501c4. It's a nonprofit organization dedicated to empowering, recruiting, mentoring the next generation of young conservative leaders to encourage them to get into office. Now, he's very interesting because he was elected at the age of 21, uh, serves in the uh, uh, Iowa, the 84th House District. Uh, and this is, by golly, the percentages. He won 71.2% of the vote. That's incredible. That, that's a that's what you call a windfall right there. You don't see that a lot today. Usually it's eh, 52, you know, 48 kind of thing. You might be lucky to get 55, but you don't see those kinds of numbers very often. He serves on the Ways and Means Judiciary State Government Committee as well there. Very interesting and We'll have a candidate joining us as well in just a little bit. But let me bring on here Joe Mitchell. And Joe, welcome to the Voice of a Nation, sir. Malcolm, thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it. Terrific. It's an it's a honor for me to have you. And so your website says the future of this country starts with Generation Z. Our vision is to prepare Generation Z leaders to take action, take charge, take control of the future by supporting the vision of the founders of this country and supporting conservative political values, such as limited government, free market capitalism, individual responsibility, and fiscal restraint. Now, Joe, if I read that carefully, and I look at what you're saying there, such as limited government, free market capitalism, individual responsibility, and fiscal restraint, Joe, let's be, let's be real with each other right up front here for listeners, but none of that is happening right now. All of that is out of control. It's a runaway train in this yeah. country. There is no fiscal restraint. There is no individual responsibility. There is capitalism is being threatened and there is no limited government. That's a problem, isn't it? It is a problem, Malcolm. And that's exactly why I created this group, right? Like you said, I got elected to the Iowa House of Representatives at the age of 21. I became the second youngest person ever uh, to get elected to um, the Iowa State House. Now I'm in my second term. And uh, what happened was shortly after I got elected, I realized there's not near as many uh, young conservatives as there should be serving in our government, representing us, because we are the future and we're also we're also the now. You know, we're going to have to deal with these problems for the rest of our lives. And, and seeing some of the crazy policies that are being proposed now and the crazy uh, spending both on the state and uh, the federal level, I, I think it's time that we have, a, we have a spot at the table. So what I did is I contacted four other state representatives from across the country, all of whom got elected under the age of 25, all of whom are, are conservative, um, that are concerned about our country as well. And I said, hey, let's start this group called Run Gen Z, which obviously stands for Run Generation Z. And I said the purpose of it would be to empower, recruit, and mentor the next generation of conservative leaders uh, in this country, because that's what we need right now. And as you've been talking about, you know, we want to make sure that we keep the American dream alive. And you only do that um, if you stand up for capitalism and free markets and fiscal restraint. So uh, we are in a dire time right now. We need more uh, young conservatives more than ever. 
Yeah. Now, the Run Gen Z is a national outreach program, or is it just Iowa? No, it's national. So we, we've been working with 25 elected officials from across the country. We've been working with candidates from 44 different states so yeah. far. And so we've been growing very rapidly mm -hmm. and uh, we've been very blessed, but um, it's something that's very needed right now. Yeah, that's what I understood. I wanted listeners to hear it from you, that this is a, is a big program and with a bright future, mind you. Now, let me ask you this. You just said something caught my attention when you talked about conservatives that were um, not getting involved in the game. Like you said, well, there's a lack of real good um, conservative political patriotic sort of young people get in. Why do you think that was or is, Joe? that they were reluctant to get involved in the game. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it's fear, right? I mean, for years, um, you know, young people, specifically young conservatives have never been told that they can actually run for office. It's always, Hey, help out on a campaign, wait your line or what your turn in line. And so, you know, I was, I was this close, um, you know, to not running because I said, you know, I don't know anybody that's a young person that's ever ran for office before. What are my friends, my family, my colleagues going to think of this 20-year-old announcing his run for, you know, Iowa State House when I'm still in college, right? And so, you know, it's, it's about um, empowering these young people to say, hey, there, there's plenty of young people like you that have done this before, and we're trying to get that message out. And we're going to conferences like um, Turning Point uh, USA. We were at their, their, their big conference last week in Tampa. We were at the Younger Republicans Conference um, last week in Indianapolis. And be able to share our stories with these folks and, and be able to share our testimonies with these young people that, hey, you can run um, at the age of, you know, 19, 20, 21 years old. Um, and that's, that should be a normal thing to do, to think about. And it's not about running for Congress, you know, right? You're not talking about a full-time job. You're talking about running for city council. You're talking about running for school board, uh, county supervisor, things, things that, um, you know, are viable to run for at a young age uh, that we need good conservatives in. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of folks telling me, well, you know, I'm not necessarily like politically minded like that. I'm more of a behind the scenes person. And it's like in your town of 5,000 people, you don't need to be, um, you know, this great, vibrant politician. All you need to know is, is, you know, how to balance a budget and cut property tax. Right. So, so that's what I've realized just from talking to thousands of young people um, over the last year or two is that, you know, we have a lot of potential out there. They just need to have some encouragement. Yeah, you know, I was thinking back uh, uh, as you're talking, Joe, to when I was um, a young man and in the business world trying to set the world on fire and the lack of experience um, that you would have. In other words, that was always held against you. You know, if I had a buck at that age and that probably that 10 year cycle, Joe, for every time somebody asked me, how old are you? How old are you? Like, it's almost like, uh, who the hell do you think you are? You know what I mean? Uh, because I was on stage talking to large groups of people and doing like the, the things like that in the business community. How does a, how does somebody, in your opinion, in that age bracket, make up for experience? Because there are a lot of people that are, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years old who think, yeah, that's a young punk. They don't have the experience. They don't know what they're talking about. How did we make up for the experience when we're that age? Sure. And so, Malcolm, when I was first running, obviously, you know, like I said, I was 20 years old when I announced I was running for office. I was 21 when I got elected. And so some of the first questions at the door were, are you even old enough to run for this office? Right. And so you got to have some humility with it. But I said, you know, just barely. Right. Just barely. But I said, here's where I do know I have a plan. Um, I care about our community. I want to ask for your vote. And they said, well, you're the only person that actually came to my door. So I will vote for you. And they also added in there a lot of times they said, 
my generation has completely screwed up this country. So we're, we're ready to hand it to the next generation um, if they believe that they can take it on. So that was, that was the reoccurring theme was, was number one, I was the only person that came to their doors. So they really didn't care if the other person had experience as long as I was there to listen to them and actually care about the, the needs of our community. But number two, they said, you know, we've let our generation have the reins for the last 40 years and look where it's got us, right? We've gotten us into $30 trillion worth of debt and, you know, horrible, uh, you know, trade policies and, and uh, you know, horrible, you know, policies for, for small businesses and to be able to really create the American dream. So that was the reoccurring theme I heard when I went to the door. Um, and so, again, you know, when you're looking at, you know, what is the future of our country and, you know, who should have a seat at the table? And it's not about, um, you know, disproportionately representing us, right, and having only Gen Z, Gen Z people in Congress and state houses and city councils. It's just about giving us an equal representation at the table to be able to talk about issues that are going to affect our generation longer than anybody else. Are you seeing any, I mean, honestly, are, Joe, are you seeing, you know, I'm sure you see the good, the bad, and the ugly in the organization run Gen Z. What is the general sense of the uh, mood and the feeling uh, in the country where, you know, I, if I hadn't spoke to you today, if we hadn't had this conversation with listeners, I, I would still think, yeah, we're in trouble because, well, let me just, the general sense out there, Joe, is that we're in trouble. It's that the younger generations don't get it. They're not paying attention. They're not involved. And frankly, they're screwed up. What do you say to that? Yeah. Well, I mean, half that's true. And that's why I started hmm. this group because what I saw, what I saw was my generation becoming more comfortable with considering themselves to be socialists not even democrats anymore but being socialists and 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 so that scares the heck out of me but i believe i truly believe the only way to be able to um you know stop that shift from happening is to have young conservatives that can communicate their to their generation because i know that you know older folks obviously can't communicate to the younger generation that a socialism and and uh you know communism and these things are bad but i do know that that young conservatives like myself um, who can relate a little bit more with our generation can get those messages across a lot easier. And so that's why I think it's so vital to get behind young conservatives to run for office, because we're going to be the ones that we're, are going to be able to communicate to our generation why, um, you know, high taxes and a nanny state is a bad thing for us um, and why that goes against, you know, the, the American idea. And so that's been honestly one of the biggest reasons why I started this organization is because I've seen how screwed up the politics in our generation has got. And the only way to move us more even to the middle, um, you know, from the far left, is to be able to have folks that can communicate and relate to younger folks, which is going to be unconservative. Yeah, it really is about messaging, probably, Joe, huh? It's messaging. Um, you know, it is. Yeah. <clears throat> what is the messaging to the people? How do they really relate? Right now, it, well, let me touch on that before I bring Amber on in just a moment with us. And, you know, the messaging, you know, all right, so let's be real. Joe, that's one of the big problems right now I see. You know, in my uh, business career, I was a um, advertising executive is what I did uh, for, oh, for, oh, many, sure. for 25 years. Uh, I was in that world and was a CEO and um, uh, really the creative guy, uh, the visionary uh, for the firm. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting as, as you watch the generations and what's happening and you see what's really slipping away and like we're trying to grab onto something we can't feel or we can't touch. Um, 
but the problem now is the media is bent on one message. Um, their message seems yeah. to be in line with the far left uh, party. But here's the real crux of the problem. If I could solve this today with you and Amber, I mean, this, this would be, I mean, killer. But he, here's the problem I think everybody sees is that the messaging on the left, hey, Joe, the Marxist left, they are so good, the, the, that extreme part of the party with messaging and marketing and projectionism, uh, they are so talented with uh, really uh, pushing their indoctrination, not only in universities and elementary schools, but across the media landscape, because the media is locking step with them. It seems like we're getting double punched in the gut as, as patriots, as an Americans right now. That's at least my sense and feel, and probably most of my listeners would agree with that. Uh, but the Republicans and the right, they absolutely suck at messaging. These people can't, you know, light a match in a dark room to get the hell out of their way and get a message out there that people <laughs> relate to. What's going on, bud? What's happening? Well, I, I think, again, you know, what you're dealing with is, as you understand, as a as a advertising executive, is it depends on what demographic you're marketing into, right? So, like, the message to, you know, a 65-year-old conservative is it's going to be different probably than a 20-year-old conservative on what you're talking about. And so I think we have to realize that is like everything I'm saying to young people I'm trying to communicate to them might be different than what I'm talking to about my constituents with that are conservative, right? And, and they're going to have different things they care about. And so I think, you know, realizing that we're going to have differences and messaging depending who you're talking to will be a great point to start because what you see is you see this infused fighting with all these conservatives on, on what the messaging should be. And it's, it, there has to be different avenues of it. You know what I mean? And you, and you know that again, from, from being in, being in advertising, depending who you're marketing to, it's going to be different. And so I hate when I see people criticizing, um, you know, one generation or another and on how to communicate to that specific age group, because it's going to be different for everybody. And each age group is going to have a different thing that they care about, right? So, like when you're talking about, you know, the you know throwing granny over over a cliff stuff with the medic with the Medicare stuff, yeah, like yeah. that that's that's going to relate more obviously with folks that are retired than somebody who's 20, right? Mm -hmm. And when when you're talking about um, you know entrepreneurship and and fiscal restraint, those sorts of things, that's probably going to resonate with more of the you know the the 20 year olds um, who see that that's going to affect their their uh, future if they're starting a business than somebody that's already retired, right? So like being able to uh, navigate uh, these lines on, um, you know, what's the best messaging for, for the audience you're talking to um, at that time, and then not also criticizing somebody for having a, you know, a bit of a different, me or touching a, a, a bit on a different place of their plan um, for a different, different demographic that they're talking to. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're right on. You're spot on. Uh, you're, you're, like, you're, yeah. For, for instance, like, you know, like President Trump did a, did a fairly good job of this one day, you know, he was talking to the African-American community. He was talking about the, you know, the economic freedom zones, right? And putting the billions of dollars, uh, you know, into these, uh, you know, communities to be able to revitalize them and develop them. And like that could be different than when you're talking to, you know, um, somebody in a, in a suburban community that, you know, already has, you know, development there and stuff. Like, so you, you got to be able to target these different demographics and age groups and have a different message for them um, that relates with them. And so I think that's the most important thing, but right now it's like, we have to have just this blanket message, um, which like overall, like, you know, the, the make America great again, that's your slogan for your campaign, but um, you gotta be able to have these subsections to be able to talk to different folks about to relate to each one, because it's all about relating to people. You know what I mean? 
And so you can't relate to somebody. You're not going to get through to them. You're not going to get your message through, which means they're not going to vote for you. Yeah, I mean, that, that, you're, you're spot on. That's a message that would have come out of our corporate boardroom. We, you know, when companies spent money like they did, it was always about a target audience. You're so right, the, the demographic yeah. and that target audience. And how do we get the message in? A lot of times it's about the pain point. In order to get people's attention, you have to hit the pain, uh, whatever that pain point is in their life, to show them like, wow, okay, that could be a real problem. And let me do this because of that. Uh, th- well, remember that here, that pain point, because uh, I'm thinking here, Joe, a bit like, okay, wh- what's the pain point we're in right now in our country? Uh, how do we get people to wake up to that? Uh, when we talk about the next mm-hmm. generation and the next generation and the next generation, there's a sense out there that we are definitely losing our grip. That this country is in, in a heap of trouble uh, like it's not business as usual. It's not politics as usual. This is not just another generation. Joe, is that a sense you have or people you talk to that have, or is that overstated, please? Well, you know, Malcolm, I, I think, you know, a recurring theme throughout history is, is you know, uh, when a certain party uh, or a movement ever gets in office, and we always think, you know, the the world's, uh, you know, you know kind of going to hell, right? right. But um I, I do think uh because of the polarization of what social media has done in the last 10 years i think it has exemplified kind of our, our worst nightmares and so um I, I do think we're in a bad spot right now right do i do i think uh we can come back from it yes i have to think that because um you know i have hopefully you know god willing another you know 60 70 years um uh, on this earth and so, you know, for my generation, specifically for the conservatives, you know, we, ha- we have to have help and we have to be able to, um, you know, continue pushing on and fighting because if we don't, then, then we are screwed, you know what I mean? And then we are at a point of no return if, if we don't keep fighting and keep believing in uh, the things we're convicted of and, and believing in the Constitution and the American dream and this, and this thing of, you know, limited government and, and free markets and stuff like that. And so... You know, I, I've had plenty of, um, you know, folks that are older than me say, you know, Joe, it's, it's too far gone, mm. but I don't, I don't yeah. accept that notion. I can't accept that notion because mm. I'm not going to let, you know, my, my country uh, go down and, and mm. you know, brimstone, um, you know, because, because I was complacent. You know what I mean? Mm. I do. I do. Uh, very, very impressive, Joe. Uh, let me, I mean, I'm a fan. you got me signed up uh, for sure. <laughs> I'm a fan. Run, <laughs> run, absolutely. Well, yeah, no, and, it's and and, and 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 nowadays, Malcolm, you can identify as a 25-year-old, apparently, so you can be one of our candidates. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, there you go. I like it. I like it. Thank you for that. That'll, that'll help my ego out a little bit here. Uh, do me a favor, Joe. Let's let's um, let's bring on Amber now, Amber Ray Hulse. And what I'd like you to do is, uh, I know she's a candidate running for Gen Z. Uh, introduce her yourself, because I want to uh, tell me what what the connection is and what you're trying to do with Amber there, uh, please. Yeah, so so Amber is going to be one of our candidates uh, here in the near future, either this election cycle or next election cycle. She's currently going to Georgetown uh, Law in D.C. So uh, Amber is the epitome of the type of candidate that we want running. Um, she's a strong conservative. She's extremely smart. She's smarter than me. Uh, that's for sure. So, um, so that's why, uh, Amber heard about run Gen Z and she, she applied online, um, to our website and, uh, you know, she's just a, a very strong conservative woman, um, that cares about the country as well. 
and obviously is equipped to be able to run um, for whatever she may want to run for, but we're trying to help her out. And, uh, you know, Amber, if you want to come on here and, and give a little bit about your background, about your story. Um, but again, she's just one of our, our candidates that is just extremely qualified that we're, mm -hmm. we're excited to work with, but she is one of many um, that is just like, you know, over the top rock star. So um, we're, we've oh. enjoyed having her in the program so far and, and being able to work with her. So so what I'm really uh, loving what you just said, and I didn't know that, but I, I love what you just, you, so you're telling me, and Amber, let's have you talk about, so you haven't really decided, and I, I didn't really get this, but this is really cool. You haven't really decided exactly when you're running, just that you have great interest and that so you're sort of learning and gathering and I guess grooming yourself for a political run and then you'll make the decision as to when that happens. Is that is that the plan? Yes, Malcolm. Well, thank you, Joe, for that uh, glowing introduction there. I don't know about my intelligence level being greater than yours, but it's great to be um, a part of your team and be one of your future candidates. Um, but yes, that's correct, Malcolm. I'm not quite sure exactly when I will make a run at it. I've had interest in running for office since I was about in the seventh grade. Um, and so this is kind of a lifelong dream of mine to be a public servant. And I think it's really great what Joe and his team are doing to prepare other young people just like me all across the country to run for office. Yeah, I, I love this preparation. Uh, I thought, Joe, that somebody would have already committed or had to commit or something like that for that program. But, but this is really extra special to me now. You're telling me that you're actually, you, you've got binoculars out and you're looking for those relationships and those people who represent the next generation and you're going to bring them along uh, if that's a fit. What does that look like in your program? So, how do you groom people accordingly? Yeah, so Malcolm, how our process works is, is number one, myself, my other elected officials are going to conferences again for places like Turning Point, College Republicans, Young Republicans, any conservative group that wants to invite us in to talk. We're going there to talk to these uh, students a lot of times about empowering them to run for office, sharing them our stories. At that point, if they're interested in running for office at all, which they all should be, then we encourage them to go online and apply on our website under the Come a Leader tab. And it's almost like a job application. So they fill out this form of you know where they're from, what their interests are, what they're thinking about running for. And at that point, then my executive director, who's based out of Dallas, we have an office down there, he will do an interview process with them over the phone uh, to kind of feel them out again for, uh, you know, what would be the most viable seat for them to run for, uh, where they're located at, in their home district, um, you know, wherever they're, where they're living, where the residency is. And so, you know, that's the stage that, that Amber's been in. She actually came to our annual conference that we had about a month ago in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, but we have, you know, we, we, we're going to have probably 2025 actual candidates this fall on the ballot for city council, school board, county supervisors, things of that nature. We'll probably have another, you know, 30 or 40 uh, next year for state legislative races, um, which Amber could potentially run in one of those. But we also have just a bench of people that are in Amber's situation where they're going to, you know, Georgetown Law School, right? They're in D.C. right now. In two years, or two or three years, they'll be out and they can start running for something back in their home district. And so now we have just a complete uh, roster uh, and, and data system of folks that are young conservatives around the country that will be ready to run in the next two to three years. So that's the beauty of it. So we have, we have um, you know, backups, right, as well, of folks that are going to be able to 
um, you know, run for not just next year, the next year, but also for the next, you know, three to five years. Okay. This is actually far more exciting than what I even realized. Uh, I mean, I'm really juiced about it. Uh, we're, we're speaking here to Joe Mitchell. He's the founder of Run Gen Z and a, a future political candidate, very potentially, Amber Hulse, um, and, uh, uh, out of South Dakota now. So interesting. RunGenZ.com is that website. Now, I'm I'm impressed. I mean, I'm I'm really impressed. I'm gonna put a link up. I'm gonna request a a, a permanent link up on America Out Loud to the organization. Uh, this looks like an incredible movement, uh, it, and it's just so good to hear uh, that we've got these in place. These movements that can make such an incredible difference. I'm gonna get a a link up immediately to the uh, to the group and uh, on AmericaOutloud.com. So visit that for sure. Now, the question now becomes, now that we've, we've put this out there uh, and Joe said, well, this is what the group is about. And, and, and we hear Amber, I wanna talk to them a little bit more in depth about, again, this generation, how we engage people, what, because this is really where it's at. If we don't begin to, if we don't begin to prime and get information out there, one of the other things I'd really like to talk to him about is the, part of the problem we talk about what all the time is in it, the indoctrination of these generations within the uh, government school system is a real problem. And we address that all the time on America Out Loud, our educators, our scientists, our doctors, all everybody's uh, concerned with that point. Uh, that's another big challenge out there is how we get around that, the Department of Education, of course. Um, but a lot of that comes back again to the infiltration of uh, people in our government and our government agencies that uh, perhaps don't belong there. That's kind of where I started today. We'll get back to more of that a little bit here. Um, so let me take a, a pause here and remind you all, you're listening to the voice of a nation here. And uh, we're talking now about the future, Generation Z. I start with Ronald Reagan, number 40. And uh, he said, you know, freedom, we cannot take for granted. I think that's a problem right now, people. We are taking a lot for granted. There are a lot of people out there who turn it off. They don't think it matters and they just go about their business. I mean, that is a fact. And yet that's not what our country is, is built on and based on. It, it is more based on what number 40 said, now, that it, we're just one generation away from extinction, this special experiment that is America. Problem is today, we have a lot of enemies at our doorstep, and many of them are in the house already. You remember that movie where the phone call was coming from inside the house? Well, that's exactly what the hell we're dealing with here. They're already here. We I mean, don't have to worry about it. Nobody's going to land on our shores here. This is not Normandy 2.0. It's not happening here. It's it's a different animal entirely. That should be a wake up call for everybody as well to un understand the uh, the plight and the fight ahead uh, to secure this America. Now, you know, we're dealing with a lot of things right now. I wonder also, I want to talk to them just a bit after we pause here a moment, even about all of this lockdown business. It's not to talk about more masks and more lockdowns and more stuff. If these people are really cocoa for cocoa puffs, I'll tell you, uh, they keep pushing their agenda. Uh, we've taken this COVID and we have just blown it up uh, is the next problem. And, you know, I wonder how they sense the generation is doing based on that. I know you know how I feel about it. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's it's not happening. Um 
so I want to segue with all of you and remind you all and that uh, one of the ways you stay adrift of any virus, any flu, any COVID is healthy cell, uh, healthycell.com forward slash out loud. One of the products that they have is incredible that I've been taking now, as you know, uh, immune super boost. Don't forget the words immune super boost because it's got A and D and Z, uh, and zinc and uh, echinacea. It's all in it. It's, it's robust and it gets to the health and condition of your cells. Uh, now, I take the regular daily regimen of healthy cell. It's gel form, so you can just take it right out of the package, and, and it's like a, uh, they have cherry or black cherry flavor. It's very interesting. But it gets to the healthier cells because it's a gel form. You can put it in water. You can put it on yogurt or just take it direct. It doesn't really matter. Uh, but I've been doing that for, what, over three and a half years, I told you. And uh, the product is incredible. All our listeners get 20% off, just our listeners, and you have to use the code out loud to get that. Uh, so you can click the banner ad back at America out loud or just go to the browser, any browser and healthycell.com forward slash out loud. And you'll see my mugshot there, but you can get the discount and uh, you'll be well on your way. They have a host of products there, by the way. They have REM sleep focus, uh, like I sell the um, immune super boost, because if you're going to stay healthy, it really is about your immune system. Let's be clear. You, you don't have to listen to the puppets on TV. If you've got a healthy immune system and, and you've taken care of yourself, my friends, you're going to fight about anything that comes your way, uh, including the Marxist left. How's that? So anyway, stay healthy, stay fresh and keep your lifestyle bright. So you help us on the fight forward. Save America here. Uh, we're going to pause just a moment and we'll be back. You're listening to the voice of a nation. Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. Because of COVID-19, the average American worries about their immune health four times a day. That's 112 times per year. To minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains 15 full doses of science-backed nutrients like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea, all in a one-a-day pill-free gel pack. It tastes great, is convenient on the go, and it's more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Immune Super Boost. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. It was a vision that gave birth to a unique multimedia platform that would combine classic talk radio, great writers, and memorable podcasts and videos. AmericaOutloud.com is a conservative leader in a field that is predominantly run by far-left progressive globalists. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Listen to Malcolm, the voice of a nation, on iHeartRadio or our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. 
back to the voice of a nation. It is yours truly, Malcolm Out Loud here. We're talking about Generation Z today, and uh, uh, let, let's get right to it here. We've got with us, I don't want to lose the opportunity of time here, and um, uh, I, I want to bring you back here. Joe Mitchell is with us, and Amber Ray Hulse is with us, a potential uh, future candidate, uh, potentially, going to Georgetown now. Now, RunGenZ.com, again, there'll, there'll be a link as you hear this on America Out Loud. Uh, you'll see it on the front page on the right side bar. Uh, special organizations and groups who are making a difference, we absolutely highlight on there. And uh, this one will be one we'll, uh, we, we will do as well. Uh, please visit them and let's see how we can help get involved and, and help get the message out there to recruit young folks uh, for the future of America, for sure. Uh, Amber, let me ask you right now about, you know, I mentioned to folks before the pause about the COVID thing and the mass thing. What is your take on the, I, I'm just curious, your take on the uh, political dressing of COVID and uh, the, the pushing of, well, uh, you know, I mean, it breaks every law of physics we have, the number and big law and everything else. You know, they're forcing you to take a vaccine, wear a mask, they're talking lockdowns again. Some states never got over it. What is what's happening with the Generation Z? Are they tolerating this? Are they putting up with it or are they pushing back, Amber? I mean, I would say, you know, as someone who is originally from South Dakota and spent most of the pandemic in Governor Christie Nome's, you know, freedom state um, that, you know, many people my own age back in my home state were, you know, not wearing masks and not following most of the guidelines that the CDC was putting out um, because our own governor said that, you know, she didn't believe that we needed to from where I was from. Um, however, moving to Washington, D.C. during the international pandemic <laughs> um, was an interesting change of events for me to see um, the different cultural approaches to how Amber, I got to ask you, was that like going to another planet? It kind of was. It kind of <laughs> was um, trying to use the metro um, and realizing that, you know, you need to wear a mask if you don't want to get screamed at and everything else, um, even after getting vaccinated um, this spring. So it's it's been an interesting um, an interesting world to live in. But I would say that it's kind of 50 50 and it kind of depended on, you know, uh, where you grew up or, or, you know, what your governor was saying. Um, and it's kind of scary, some of the people our age, you know, what they're willing to listen to as their, you know, truth, whether it's the science um, or their own personal beliefs and freedoms. Yeah, well, when they say science, your antenna should go up right away. They are talking probably political agenda. Amber, did you, you, said, you, you said you got the vaccine. Is that right? I did get the vaccine. And um, that's something that I personally chose to do because my dad is actually um, really, really immunocompromised and has a lot of um, you know, personal elements, but also my law school required students to go uh, to get the vaccine. Yeah, the universities are pushing that heavy. Yeah, yeah, they're pushing that heavy. So was that the deciding factor, the university forcing you to do it? Yeah, I think that that kind of was what pushed me over the edge. Originally, I, you know, my dad said that if I wanted to get it, you know, he got the vaccine because he was, you know, 72 years old, and he was the kind of person that should get the vaccine. But, um, you know, I think it was, you know, obviously it was required by my law school to get it. And so therefore I did. Um, but I don't think that that's something that, you know, should be required of, you know, young people whose immune systems are, you know, in many cases more effective than some of these um, experimental vaccines that haven't been approved by the FDA. Yeah, interesting. And, and how's your generation taking it, Amber? Are they, uh, are most people falling in line to getting the vaccine in your circles and opinion? Or is it more a South Dakota, uh, DC kind of conversation and not so generational? 
Yeah, I think that a lot of young people um, are not, especially women, are not, um, you know, looking forward to getting the vaccine or don't want to and are only getting it because they're being required by their mm. schools. It's been a big discussion, even um, Turning Point USA is a young organization, young people's organization wow. for young conservatives. And they're um, helping students, you know, fight back against their schools, requiring them to get the vaccine and, and almost discriminating um, against them and making them go into special little, you know, COVID safety boxes and different things in their classrooms. Yeah, it's like um, the scarlet letter. They, they mark yes. you. You're marked, right? I mean, come on. It's kind yes. of sick. It's, it's very un-American for sure. Uh, hey, hey, Joe, did you, did, you, did you get the vaccine, Joe? I did get the vaccine. Um, and, and again, uh, you know, I, I think like Amber said, it's a personal choice to make. I'm the only person in my family gets the vaccine, by the way. Uh, and I, my parents wish I wouldn't have gotten it, you know, actually, but, um, you know, but the thing was, is, is I made it a personal choice, you know, as an elected official, um, here in my community to say the people that, um, you know, president Trump's team was, was really realistically the one that designed the vaccine They're, they were the ones that had oversight over it. And the ones that, that, that started this process. So I do I do trust the vaccine. Um, and, and I think there was an administration that, uh, you know, it was an office that really designed it, which they're not getting credit for now, which is the ironic thing. Um, as you talk about when you're talking about, you know, vaccine hesitancy, remember what was happening a year ago when when President Trump was talking about an operation warp speed and, and all the folks like Kamala that said they want to take a, a Trump vaccine. So, um, you know, so it's interesting, you know, how the how the tables have flipped now now that conservatives are being accused of you know not trusting the science when clearly a year ago the democrats you know weren't trusting the science just purely because of president trump being in charge um but again as amber said you know i think it is a personal choice and i don't think we should be shaming people into getting it if they don't feel uh comfortable getting the vaccine then we shouldn't be um again you know giving the these uh you know different marks from the government on on who can and can't you know be on an airplane who can and can't mm -hmm. be in a grocery store or in, in a university classroom um so so that's where the hypocrisy comes in um and i think that a lot of people are saying uh but again you know it, it's your personal choice and i don't think that we should shame people one way or another right? well wait a minute it used to be our personal choice but as amber just said it no longer is to a lot of people joe yeah no you're, you're completely right and that's what i i guess i'm just saying as conservatives, we believe it should be a personal choice. That's right. And so we, we need to continue to, to preach that, mm -hmm. um, that, that conversation that, hey, you know, again, um, if you want to get the vaccine, that's perfectly fine. There's been a lot of conservatives that have got the vaccine. But if you don't, we're not going to shame you into doing that because um, I completely get this, this skepticism um, that, you know, normally the vaccines take five, six years before they're approved by um, either the FDA or the CDC. And, you know, now they, they, they did you know, obviously approve this in, in a, the quickest manner possible. Well, no, it's not approved. Um, it's approved. experimental. It's experimental still. So it's not approved. And that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, I, I, I would just go back to, you know, uh, the president um, was, mm -hmm. was the, you know, President Trump right. was the was the person that was uh, had oversight over this in the, in the beginning. They're really the ones that developed this vaccine in conjunction with these with these pharmaceutical companies. Um, it, it's just it's just interesting then that as soon as he got out of office, uh, you know, President Biden and his uh, administration wanted to take credit for it when they really did nothing with it. Um, and they also said they want they didn't want to take the vaccine last year when President Trump was working on it. Right. So right. so the, the hypocrisy there is just it's completely disgusting is what it is. Um, and so and now they're and, and 
the thing is, is if President Trump was still president, I assume, um, you know, there's no way that these these universities and that, you know, the airlines, whatever, would require people to mm. be getting the vaccine. Right. Because he believes he believes in personal choice. Yeah. Um, and he obviously he was encouraging people to get the vaccine because, again, he was he was, you know, had oversight over it. Uh, but again, you know, that that's the difference between the right and the left right now. It's about right. Right. Uh, personal choice. And, and it's ironic, uh, Malcolm, that, you know, they talk about, you know, my choice, my body uh, for, for certain for certain issues. <laughs> oh, oh, you mean when, when you're mur- comes- when you're murdering somebody, you mean when you're murdering another yeah. human being? That's yeah. OK, right? Yeah. yeah. So so when you're talking about, you know, yeah. aborting a mm. human being, mm. um, then it's my choice, my body. But then yeah. when you're talking about a vaccine that's like you said, an uh. experimental vaccine that we don't have all the facts on necessarily. Uh, but then they, they don't care about my choice, my body. So that's, that's, that's the interesting thing. And I think the biggest thing is we've just seen in this whole entire administration and, and really in just the last mm. few years from the left is just the hypocrisy. And you've yeah. seen that with, you know, with the riots happening last summer. Mm-hmm. And, and now they, now they care about the Capitol police, but they don't care about regular police officers. And it's just, it's a whole scheme of things. And you're talking about the border and they're letting people in and flying into these different cities. They're not vaccinated. You don't know what diseases they have. And yeah. so I think people are just starting to open their eyes up to mm-hmm. seeing the hypocrisy across the board uh, with everything the left does. And uh, I think, again, this all plays into, I think we're going to have a good year in 2022. Mm. Um, and I think mm. we're going to play into that a lot, but you know, it's it just, it, it, you know, I can go on for hours about, you know, the hypocrisy between all these things, but oh, again, yeah. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, I think, you know, conservatives had, had continued to have a great stance that, you know, if you want to take the vaccine, great. If you don't, great. Um, but we're not going to be pressuring people in and we're going to give people, uh, you know, their own personal choice on whether what they think is best for them and their family. Well, if you really follow what we're talking about right now and you say, like you point out, Joe, my choice, my body. Uh, Now, Amber, as a young woman uh, on the left, that's a very important message. uh, My choice, my body. Everybody knows what that means. Uh, And there was that. And then there was, you know, okay, let's legalize. It's our body again, Amber. So we can legalize uh, marijuana. We can legalize drugs in the country. Uh, Most states now are opening that up. They want to they even want to do it federally. Everybody can get high and get on brain rot. And that's good. We'll rot everybody's brain out. So then they're really deaf, dumb and stupid. And we can do what the hell we want. You know, so you got all that going on. And then at the same time, when all these other rights come, it's no longer your body, your choice. Uh, you now have to mandate and fall in line. Now, what that tells me is this is far more than a my choice, my body. There's something else amiss here. Something else is going on. There's an indoctrination that's happening. This is the core and the center of why we're having trouble when it comes to this generational problem. Something else is wrong. Amber, what else is it? What am I missing? What are listeners missing with what I say there? Well, I mean, I think there's a lot lot to unpack there. Um, Hmm. However, I would say that, you know, universities all the time, I went to a liberal arts um, institution for um, undergrad. And I think they say all the time, you know, we're here to teach you how to think, not what to think. And whenever they would say that, it would scare me even worse. um, Because, you know, if you're teaching people how to think about things, they approach life and their values and everything else in a certain way. And I think if we, you know, teach Mm. our children or, you know, university students 
to think in a certain way, whether that's, you know, not thinking about, you know, privacy or protections or freedom right. um, and not teaching them to question things or, you know, think about things in a conservative way. Um, it's, it's scarier. And I'm not saying that, you know, universities should be teaching kids what to think either. Um, but I think that the way that we educate students now um, and some of the institutions that you were talking about earlier about, you know, the messaging and how, you know, the institutions, whether it be the media or schools, you know, they're not on our side and that doesn't help. Um, and I think the biggest thing that we can do is that, you know, show that young conservatives do exist. I mean, to the left, young female conservatives don't exist. Um, and so my existence and the fact that I'm willing to be in public and say, yes, I am a 22 year old woman and I am conservative and I am proud to say that and you can't cancel me because here I am in the flesh. Um, it really disrupts the narrative and it disrupts the fact that, you know, just as many institutions that they can set up and as many things that they can try to skew it so that everyone thinks their way and follows and st steps in line if people like me and people like Joe and all of our other candidates in Run Gen Z still are out there, somehow their system is failing. And obviously that's upsetting for them, um, but good. And so the more that we can rally together and find these people in the corners of this country um, and, and really stand up against all of these things that just feel like, like you said, we're getting you know, two punches in the gut, um, you know, it shows that it really isn't working because we're falling through the cracks, if you wanna call it that. Um, and so the more people that we, you know, say, hey, we're out there and you can join us and we rally together, we can fight against this entire, you know, generational messaging and narrative um, and really flip the script. Amber, I'm glad you took the floor there. You are impressive. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you know, I, I want I, people I, to hear I, you. Okay. I said she was more intelligent than me, Malcolm. You did say that. <laughs> I wasn't kidding. You I did. Yeah, yeah. No, she I'm glad she took the floor because I want people to hear her such an important voice and with such eloquence, the way she puts that out there. You know, the indoctrination is a real problem. And it's something I'd like to talk to you two more about ahead. You're, you're terrific voices and just great spirits for this conversation. I'm really loving people hearing you. Uh, Joe, the, the indoctrination is a problem we address with educators uh, consistently on America Out Loud. We understand the problem here. We know what's going on. Uh, the final point I'd like to talk to you both on with this indoctrination, I have two children myself that are <clears throat> 17 and 18, uh, actually 19 now, she just turned 19. Uh, she's uh, in college, the 19-year-old, and the other is a senior in high school. And they have battled throughout their life, Joe, the indoctrination in the school system. And they have stayed there. They're very conservative in nature. Uh, it is the way they are. In fact, they liked Trump before I even knew who really that Trump was going to be what he was. They really did. They braced him and said, oh, my. I said, Trump, who? I said, what are you? He's not going to win. This is back when it all started. Right. Right. And they were like, no, no, no. We like this Trump. And they were all over this story. You know? And they, ha they had to hold back their political beliefs in school. They couldn't share them at all. They had to be careful because everything was to the far left in the school system. That's a concern, isn't it? Yeah. So a couple of things with this, with this subject, Malcolm, and, and really, you know, I, I've been out of school now for two years. I'm 24. Obviously, I graduated two years ago. And so really reflecting on my time at Drake University in Des Moines, uh, which is a liberal, you know, small private liberal arts school, right? Uh, I started thinking about 
how I remember going to college and a family friend of ours, very conservative, told me, he said, he said, Joe, he said, uh, don't die as a Republican martyr in college, which he really meant don't waste your parents' money <laughs> failing out because, you, you know, you, you wrote papers, um, you know, that that, you, you know, he, he was pretty much saying, you know, go along with the narrative, get your degree and get out of there, um, which for, for better or for worse. Um, I did take some of that, uh, some of that advice. Um, but, you know, Malcolm, at the end of the day, you know, I could write a really crappy paper, but skew it towards the, the professor's narrative and get an A, mm-hmm. or I could work twice as hard and get a B or a C on a conservative paper for standing up for what I believe, right? Mm-hmm. And so it, it, wow. it's really unfair. And so, you know, young people have to make a choice. But at the, at the end of the day, you know, you're not going to you're, you're not going to change your professor's mind. Right. Mm-hmm. And so so that, that leads it leads to one thing. It means don't go to liberal universities. Right. Which means you probably shouldn't be going to you know, your public mm-hmm. universities or your small private universities unless they're Christian university. And so that's what it comes down to. Um, and so I, and I'm sorry to say that, but, you know, like Charlie Kirk with Turning Point USA, Charlie's had an effort now for a couple of years to divert funds away from these universities that conservatives, very, very wealthy conservatives, give millions of dollars every year to these to these public and private universities that are completely far left indoctrinating our kids, and they continue to do so. It's yeah. like, instead of doing that, give to our organization, right? <laughs> give yeah. to Turning Point well, USA. Well, let, let me tell folks that right now, Joe, uh, that they can go to rungenz.com. There is a link, as you listen to this, uh, at americaoutloud.com as well. They got a very cool logo. I like it. It's got the Z running through the run gen. Uh, it's a great looking little website here. A lot of information on there and videos and information. And uh, I, I want you to check it out, please. Uh, RunGenZ.com. Uh, check out the link again back at americaoutloud.com. Uh, tr- I'm really got to jump into my step here, the truth be told here. And I'm thrilled to meet here Joe Mitchell and Amber Ray Hulse. Could not have two better representatives, uh, quite frankly. Uh, this was a very empowering and just great lesson for all of us to bring this uh, here to you. I, I'm really excited about it. Uh, RunGenZ.com. Uh, and if they are representative, if Joe and Amber are representative of the conservative young movement uh, that we have potential within our country, then mm, it, uh, it gives me uh, uh, a, a, a really good feeling uh, that we have something to embrace that I talk about all the time with you about the next generation, uh, that we're here to secure the next generation. And that would be with Joe and Amber for sure. Uh, I'm definitely a fan, absolutely a fan. Now, as uh, I, I definitely want to visit them again, I've actually got what Joe was just talking about. Turning Point is coming up next. There's a uh, Turning Point at USA. Uh, we're going to talk to some uh, folks there in just a moment as we continue on with this conversation here in the next hour. Um, big thank you here to Joe and Amber. And uh, let's continue on with the march here to save the next generation. My fellow Americans will be back just after the pause. You're listening to The Voice of a Nation. and soul of a nation beckons the call the voice of our forefathers heard in the distance a house divided against itself cannot stand to reclaim our honor honor, honor. our soul Soul. the challenges of a generation call out future generations hang in the balance 
We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. Welcome back to the voice of a nation. It is yours truly, Malcolm Out Loud here. Uh, we're talking today a, a lot about Generation Z, about future generations. I love these conversations. Absolutely love them because, you know, when I opened up early, we talked about number 40, Ronald Reagan, and that just famous uh, quote phrase he put out there about freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Or one day, we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States where men were free. Now, that was number 40. You know, the thing Reagan would always talk about is the shining city on a hill. Uh, there's, there's a, you know, it's a moment of history when you think of that, the shining city on a hill that, that is or is America. Yeah, sometimes, you know, it's, it's tough. Sometimes you say, well, that was America. And that's kind of what Reagan was talking about here. Let's not get to the point of our lives where we say, oh, it used to be that way. Yeah, that was America in the day. Uh, I think many of us are scared that that may be happening that it may be slipping away. You know, what's really going on, right? Part of the mantra and the message for America Out Loud, for our platform, our, you know, uh, network and everything that we're doing here is, is really about the next generation. That is what it is about. Now, if you look again at americaoutloud.com, you see right at the top here, here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. That is what it's all about here at America Out Loud and certainly on this show on The Voice of a Nation. I wanna dial it back a little bit when we talk about the government intrusion in our lives. And before I bring on Brett and introduce you to him in just a moment here, I wanna bring it back to the 1950s. And I mentioned up front to you about Senator Joseph McCarthy of Wisconsin, by the way. You know, back in the 50s, he made, well, it was a big deal with him and Eisenhower. And uh, this Republican uh, senator uh, rang the bell loud and clear for the infiltration of communists uh, that were in government offices and agencies. A lot of people thought he was, uh, you know, drunk on extra Wheaties or something, didn't really understand the argument, but his message was clear. And it was that there was an infiltration happening in our great nation. Now, the reason I bring that up is that there are a lot of people that think that that's what's happening in government agencies today. If there's an infiltration in our, uh, whatever, the NSAs, the FBI's, the CIA's, and certainly, surely, the Department of Justice. You know, we talk a lot about blind justice. We, we know that liberty justice no longer wears a blindfold in our country. We know that. We know that she is exposed and sees exactly what she's doing. We know that. Now, we wish she would be blind and put the blindfold on, but she's not. And that's just a fact of what's happening. And we've been seeing that building for years. Absolutely. And here we are. And so, you know, I think as a, as a guy, a, a political student of the game here in, in America, and, you know, you look back through the Obama years and you look at, and, you know, I'm not being a wise guy here, but people, the infiltration of people, 
the reason that Trump was having the trouble he was having with the government, the agencies and all the whistleblowers and all of the, you know, anonymous sources. How many times, you know, if you had a buck for every time there was an anonymous source in a, a mainstream media, you, you'd retire, certainly right, on some private island for sure. Come on, come on, come on. Uh, everything was an anonymous source. The media was running freewheel with all this stuff. But, you know, a lot of those cats were in these offices and, quite frankly, in the agencies. And we, we seen that drip, 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 beat, beat, beat for what was happening across our country. They were undermining the president of the United States. And that was pretty consistent. And it brings me back to remembering McCarthyism and back to the McCarthy days where he's talked about the infiltration of communists. And now we have the infiltration of a lot of things, bureaucrats for sure. And uh, people who don't like America, people who have it out for America, for sure. There are people out there that want to bring America to its knees. And as I've said to you, these people are not necessarily in another country outside of our shores. The problem is they're inside the house already and they're on the phone call. That is the problem. They're here. Just as the problem with our borders and other things we're talking about. So that that leaves us very spicy what's happening right now. But the underlying thing is, where are we headed as a country? Uh, you know, there's a lot of criticism for Generation Z and a lot of criticism for, for a lot of the newer generations. Uh, you know, now, as I talked to you about with my own two are 17 and 18 or 17 and 19 now, I keep forgetting she grew up another year, right? And you recognize that there's an indoctrination happening in the school system, in the government school system. Uh, I know because my own two went through it and they pushed away from it. They wouldn't have it, but they were aware of it totally. And they protected themselves accordingly. So that's part of what we should talk about today. But also, as we talked about up front uh, with Generation Z and uh, uh, the movement of uh, Run Gen Z, but also there's another big group, you know, uh, and that is... Uh, a TPA, a Turning Point Action, but there's, uh, there's a, uh, a group, Turning Point USA, which and a, more of a political arm of the parent group, uh, like a sister organization, if you will, uh, that has uh, helping groom young people. Same thing. That's what we're talking about today. Grooming the new generation for a political office. Uh and this, this is cool. This is good stuff here. And I, I'd like to bring on right now and talk to a gentleman who is uh, out in the field. He is out talking to folks. He's out of Wisconsin. Interesting connection back to McCarthyism and other things. But uh, uh, I, I, I'm very excited to bring on Brett. Brett, Brett, say the name fast three times. Brett Galoshevsky. Brett Galoshevsky. Brett Galoshevsky. Brett Galoshevsky. Welcome to the Voice of a Nation, sir. <laughs> Hi, Malcolm. Uh Hi. Awesome job pronouncing the last name. Uh, did better than most people. Galashevsky. So. <laughs> Galashevsky. Yeah. You got to get the Shesk in there. Got to get the Shesk. Yeah. But the cool thing about that is it does give a talking point uh, when you're in political circles. And uh, uh, anyway, it's become sort of a novelty for you, hasn't it? Oh, it has. It has. I'm known as Brett. Oh, yeah. It's Brett Gallo. Go, 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 go. <laughs> Uh, having a long and annoying Polish name in politics uh, sort of, I guess, sets me apart, if you want to put it that way. That it does. And you need that. Every bit of uniqueness we have as young people in the, in the game here is, is a, posit a positive thing. Now, how long have you been involved as a senior field rep for Turning Point Action? I've been with Turning Point Action since January of 2020. So around that time, we had just uh, really... Uh, dive deep into our Students for Trump project, and I've loved every minute of it since. It's been, it's been a really fun ride in this over year and a half that I've been with Turning Point Action. 
I'm curious to ask you right up front, Brett, do you see yourself ever running for political office? You know, a lot of people have asked me that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, at one point I would have told you absolutely not. I'm more of a behind the scenes guy. Um, But um, as as kind of the the time has gone on here, you know, I've started to imagine it a, a little more. It's starting to become a little more tangible in my mind. Who knows? Anything could happen. That's right. That's right. All right. When we look at this whole generation right now, and let's just let's go up at 50,000 feet. and We'll come back more and talk about the mission of a TPA and what you're doing there and so on and so forth. But looking right now, what's the biggest problem, Brett, we have with getting a message out to this generation, to Generation Z? What's the biggest challenge we have? Well, right now, I, I think young people are turned off by the GOP, especially the local level, because of the simple fact that you go to GOP meetings, you know, anywhere, any state, any municipality, and the average age of someone who is involved with their local GOP, 60 to 70 years old. Wow. Um, for a college student who wants to get involved with politics, um, that is somewhat of a turnoff and, and, and really a deterrent when wanting to get involved. Not only is old age a problem, uh, but then you get that lack of energy, that lack of effective organizing coming from the local level. And um, it, it's, I, I'll put it to you this way. I spoke to a county chair in the Midwest who told me he was 91 years old. And if I'm a college student wanting to get involved and, and I hear that my local GOP is run by a 91-year-old and I'm willing to bet that the average age of, of everyone else involved with that is you know, maybe 70-something years old, um, it's, it's going to be difficult to get myself to go to these meetings. So um, the, the number one issue right now is age at the local GOP level. And our organization is really trying to bridge that gap and, and really the age gap and the cultural gap that exists at the local level. All right, the GOP, the, the grand old party, as they call it here. So all right, here's, here's the thing. When people think about the GOP, aka the Republican Party, they immediately think, Brett, of the old white man's party. That's how people would refer to the grand old party. And that's been happening since I was a young lad myself. In fact, if you were had a different ethnicity, uh, if you were a Black American, Hispanic American, Asian American, a woman, you typically were associated with the Democrat Party, a, a blue dog, a Democrat. Why is that, do you think? It's not actually true, but that is the perception people have out there. Is that the perception you think? And and how did we get there? I think the perception has changed, uh, especially since President Trump. Um, I agree with you that at one point, you know, growing up, I thought that the Republican Party was the party of country clubs, the social elites, the uh, the people who owned yachts and, and wore golf polos. And that, like you said, the the social elites. And uh, it wasn't until President Trump came around and, and really bridged that gap. The, the party has now changed from the party of country clubs to the party of blue jeans and baseball caps. Uh, it, it, the Democrats now have sort of turned into the social elites. You look at people like Jeff Bezos, anyone in Hollywood. It's really cool to see how that shift has happened over the last couple of years. Well, is that shift still happening right now, right? I mean, we're in the midst of that shift, aren't we? I think so, especially up here in the Midwest. I'm seeing it every day that Kennedy era Democrats are slowly realizing, wow, we are actually Trump branded conservatives. Um, You see it in places like Michigan and Ohio, those old union brand blue collar Democrats who voted for Trump in 2016 and 2020. And uh, 10 years ago, that would have been an impossible thought. Um, You you usually think that in the Rust Belt, Mm -hmm. uh, it's pretty solidly blue. And I think that that is a perfect example of how the party 
has shifted and has continued to shift as we look to 2022 and 2024. Brett, do you think by chance, when we look at the Democrat Party as a whole, and we refer to a JFK, a JFK Democrat, a blue dog Democrat, middle, moderate, just left of center, anything like that, okay? When you think of the Democrat Party as a whole, and you see, well, there's an infiltration of a Marxist mentality. There's a, I mean, the softer word they use is socialism, but it really is Marxism and communism that we're talking about here. They just don't want that out there. But that wing of the party has really begun to do some damage in the Democrat party and sort of swallow it whole a bit. Now, people like Pelosi and Schumer, and, uh, uh, or we call them affectionately here, Chucky Schmucky. Uh, and so those cats, they, they are having a hard time wrestling the extreme left down and they sort of are demanding things between you know the economic ruins, green new deals, kill fossil fuels, let's just go on wind and solar, legalize drugs, we'll smoke weed all day, we'll get high, have abortions, everything's cool in America, you know? That's their vision there. And that's really is a socialist. Now you just mentioned something really interesting about the elites. Here's the thing, here's what people need to understand, Brett. Socialism, communism, Marxism is about the elites. Here is it. You look at any historical example in our lifetime, and it's the haves and the everything the Democrats accuse the right of. It's the haves and the have-nots. The social elites are the Pelosi's. They are the Schumer's. They are all of those cats that are at the very elite. They live in gated communities. They have beautiful mansions. They have uh, multi-level refrigerators with all the ice cream they could possibly eat in it. These are the elites. And then there is the rest of us. This is Venezuela 2.0. This is the strategy. Isn't that part of what that shift is now within the political landscape and maybe what's happening? Oh, 100%. And I think it starts early. I think it starts on the college campuses. Um, coming into college as a 17 or 18 year old, it's, I think it's really difficult for you to know exactly who you are politically. And professors exploit that vulnerability. Uh, if you go to college looking to find yourself politically, if you're not careful, you may lose yourself politically. And it starts with the drowning out of conservative voices on a college campus. You put a MAGA hat on on a college campus or a conservative sticker on your laptop, you are putting a target on your back. And that fear that's provoked on these college campuses is I think what's kind of the breeding ground for what you're seeing in the Democratic Party, that shift right now from you know left of center, you know, like how you said, to uh, this, this progressive socialism that we're seeing, the Bernie Sanders of the world, the AOCs of the world. 10 years ago, I would have told you Nancy Pelosi was a moderate Democrat. It's crazy to think how their party has shifted as well. Yeah, that's all out of the closet, isn't it? Oh, at this point, yes, 100%. See, and that's why you're seeing that's the definition of socialism and Marxism. That's, that's historically what it is. Uh, is they level the playing field. The rest of us are down here at the bottom. You and I, Brett, are down here at the bottom. And the rest of all of our listeners would be right with us. And the elites, they eat the, you know, the ice cream from the triple magnificent, um, you know, and I take nothing away from folks who have that uh, at all. If you've earned it and worked for it, you absolutely deserve that. That is the American way. That is capitalism. That is what we believe in. Uh, but that's not exactly how these cats got there. Uh, they use uh, the American people as a stepping stone uh, to get what they want in political office and political power, sadly. Um, this shift in the party, in the political uh, consciousness, I guess, Brett, I'll call it, 
uh, between the Democrat Party and the Republican Party is interesting. I like this conversation we're having because we're talking about the GOP. We think about the grand old party. You think about the old white man party, which I hate that. I, I absolutely despise that um, descriptive of the Republican Party. You know what I mean? I hate it. And But yet that is something we grew up with for sure. And then you know, I've been predicting, I want to throw something at you here and, and, and be honest and tell me back if you think I'm all crazy or not, but I've actually, listeners will know where I'm going because I've talked to them plenty about this before, but I've actually been predicting for uh, about a couple of years now, a couple of years during while Trump was in office, is you really study the Democrat Marxist, I call it the Marxist Democrat Party, uh, when you really study them and understand what's taken place there in the socialist movement of our nation and what they want with all of the economic policies and bankrupting of our country and eliminate fossil fuels, go back to the Stone Age. I mean, the things they're presenting are the most dangerous, reckless policies that would cripple our nation. Uh, when you see what they are embracing and what they're pushing out to America, you know, Brett, I kind of see it a little differently. I think the Democrat Party, actually, a lot of people think the Republican Party is just a, is a blowing up, imploding. I don't think so. The more I've studied this and over the last couple of years, I, I think the Democrat Party is coming down to its I think it's coming to the near the end of its existence, uh, just like other political parties have uh, done it, that that's happened to in our history. Uh, historically, the Whigs Party became the Republican Party back in the 1860s. This has happened before. And I think they're coming toward that end of their existence. And I think they're grasping for air, just like a cockroach you would step on that is upside down backwards uh, trying to breathe. And I think that's why they're so radical. They're so extreme. They're so out of the closet. They're doing so much that is like, are you kidding me? Like you're doing that in America? You think people are going to embrace that? I think they're really grasping. But the problem is they're, and I want to talk to you about, they're really good with packaging and messaging. But I think they're really on damage control right now. And I wouldn't be surprised in the next year or two to see them totally be eaten out from the inside out from the Marxist left. Does that sound crazy? No, not at all, Malcolm. I don't think that that's a far-fetched prediction. I mean, history does repeat itself. And when you see the divide happening right now in the Democratic Party and how that divide seems to be getting stronger and stronger, um, I would say that it, it's not completely crazy to say that they're at the beginning of the end. Um, you, you see people in the Democratic Party like um, Joe Manchin, for example, someone yeah. who um, you know, has uh, you know, at the base of things comes across as a conservative, but he votes uh, left leaning. Um, you know, he's he's an example of somebody who is far off from what the Democratic Party has become. And when you see uh, the divide happening, um, like you mentioned, the Whigs and the Republicans, you know, 1850s, they split. Um, you're starting to see people like, and, and this happened during the primaries uh, in 2020, when you saw people like Elizabeth Warren and Mayor Pete and, um, and uh, Bernie Sanders doing extremely well in the primaries, yeah. you saw what the Democratic Party did. Uh, and, and overnight, almost, you saw all these candidates dropping out that were doing extremely well in the primaries, you know, and this is coming from a conservative, I'm, I'm willing to acknowledge that they were doing extremely well on their side. Um, and, and I think that that was the Democrats way, the establishment elites of the Democratic Party, that was their way of saying um, that side is not that it's not here yet. And our side is here to stay. And I think that that 
uh, was a dangerous thing to happen. And I think that that only fueled it more. So, um, yeah, I don't think it, it's completely outrageous for you to say that they're at the beginning of the end. Brett, why do you think the Democrat machine, the left, if you will, why are they so much better at marketing and messaging than the right? I think it starts with age. Um, the Democratic Party has done an extremely uh, great job of marketing to young people. Anytime that you go on a Democratic website, it's very visually appealing. It's very detailed. Uh, you go on a Republican Party website of any county, uh, anywhere, and uh, a lot of the times it looks like it was made on GoDaddy.com in the 90s. It looks like it hasn't been updated. Um, not only that, uh, they, they seem to, especially on college campuses, they dangle the carrot in front of their face with, with a few concepts, one being free education. And I think that that uh, leaves the opportunity for a student to fall into that trap. And uh, so not only are they doing a great job with, with digital messaging, they're doing a great job with, uh, with getting messages across that seem to make the, the Democratic Party seem like the party that's looking out for them as a, as a young person when that's not necessarily the case. So even though, you know, it, and a minute ago we were talking about how the Democratic Party may be at the beginning of the end, um, the, the threat is also still very real. And uh, on the same token, that socialism threat could be growing every single day. And, um, and I just, I wish we'd come to the point where people would realize that if socialism was so great, why aren't people swimming to Cuba versus the other way around? <laughs> why aren't people fleeing to Venezuela in droves? Um, so yeah, mm. I, I think that the, their messaging has just been um, extremely well. And that's something that the GOP lacks. And, and that's why um, in order for the, our party to survive, it needs to get younger and, and it needs to have young people not just step up and join the Republican Party, but have an influence in it, uh, have a say in it and, and really help determine the direction of it. Yeah, I, I love what you say there. And, uh, you know, if I went through a few years, uh, Brett, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you ever experienced this. Let me tell you what I, I you, you probably, you might be able to relate to this. I don't know, but I went through several years uh, and probably even some listeners may even know this, although I haven't really said this on air, but uh, I went through a lot of years never admitting that I was a Republican. I didn't like the tone of it. I didn't like the, the impetus of saying that. And uh, I was really ashamed of the party, more so, of what had taken place. So I would use, I, I far more always embrace the word conservative. That I love that word. And patriot. Uh, so I'm a really conservative constitutionalist. I'm a patriot. Absolutely. I believe in our framers' vision, believe in what this great experiment was all about. But I had this problem with the Republican brand. And I sort of, did, I hardly ever said the word. And, you know, as I studied this over the past oh, year or so, and then with Trump, and then I realized, you know, and I, I was, you know, a couple of times I questioned why was Trump embracing the Republican brand? Because he really wasn't the staunchy old Republican. In fact, he really pissed off the Republican Party. He was rocking the canoe so hard they wanted to, it was, the people were getting whiplash, you know? <laughs> I mean, he was really, uh, right? He was a shock to the whole system, the establishment, Brett, right? Oh my uh, gosh, absolutely. Trump and it wasn't until he came along that I realized this was what the Republican Party was missing all along. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, it, you know, I was thinking as you were talking about the websites, actually, Brett, I was visualizing, God, as an ad guy, I was an advertising guy all my life uh, before I got into into this uh, uh, radio consciousness in America Out Loud and uh, in my new world order here. Um, and uh, 
you know, I would love to, I, if I could design all their websites or all their message in the Republican Party. In fact, I'd love to have that message. Malcolm, we're going to have you create the new campaign nationally. It would be the most hippest, coolest campaign. And we'd have parties and balloons on all those websites. We'd look much more hip than we would uh, the other. But I don't know. There's something about it. I, I'm just uh, making fun of that. But we, we've got to make this shift somehow and get people to engage. So let me ask you this. You know, another thing I was thinking about. The a lot of young people, there's this connection to, oh, my God, the Democrats are hip and cool. They want to legalize weed. They want to legalize drugs. It's like, man, let's just all let it all hang out, man. Have some fun. What the hell? Yeah, that's part of socialism, of course. Get us all high, drunk and intoxicated and we won't know what the hell day it is. Uh, probably that's part of the mission. Brett, I don't know. But I do wonder that. And I'm wondering, you know, whereas the Republican Party doesn't embrace any of that. Is that part of it, the cool factor with the younger generation, do you think? Or what, how does that play in? I think so. Uh, and, and again, <laughs> I think it goes back to the, the college campus uh, theory is that um, not only is it that you want to feel that you're cool, but you also want to feel uh, that you're in the in crowd. And unfortunately, on a college campus, the in crowd is the Democratic left. Um, it's what's really a true test is uh, being a conservative on a college campus. Uh, those are the anti-establishments. That's punk rock right there, being a conservative on a college campus. So- uh, That's punk rock. Hold on, that what you just said is a great campaign, actually. I got to jump in. Punk rock. So being a Republican on a college campus, that's punk rock. Do you know that would be an advertising campaign? Well, look at that. Look at that. We just coined it right here and now. <laughs> well, we did. Every, there it is. Think about it. Uh, being a Republican, I mean, I could see that ad campaign. Being a Republican on a college campaign uh, on a college campus, that's punk rock. I would embrace that. That is kind of cool. That's what I'm talking about right there, that message. You know, think about, you know, I'm thinking about in the corporate boardrooms and when you took a corporate brand and you re-messaged it in such a way I guess in many ways, isn't that really what the Republican brand needs to make it more attractive to Generation Z and Y and the millennials and all of that? Oh, absolutely. Um, it, it needs to uh, start getting the message across that young people are welcome and young people can have a voice. Um, many times I, I will run into local GOPs that preach day in and day out that they want young people to get involved and they need younger voices until a young person is standing at their doorstep. Then their rhetoric changes. Oh, we've been doing this a long time. We know how it is. What do you know? You're just a kid. And unfortunately, exactly. I've seen multiple instances of that across the board of, of a young person wanting to get involved, taking that step, deciding for themselves that I'm, I'm upset with the way things have been happening and I want to get involved and they show up and they don't feel that they have a voice. And uh, that's why uh, I, I've made it my mission, you know, almost every day here with Turning Point Action to help bridge that gap. Yeah. Brett, when you were in school, uh, talk to us about what you're what you were seeing, your feelings, your thoughts. And I'm speaking about the point of so many people leave. There's an indoctrination in the government school system that is uh, uh, reprehensible. And uh, it, this has been a real uh, point here of, of reference. Uh, what did you see? Talk to us on that, please. Yeah. Uh, so I went to Marquette University up in Milwaukee. And uh, for those listening that uh, went to Catholic schools or Jesuit institutions, uh, you know uh, how bad uh, that hypocrisy uh, exists uh, at, at Jesuit and Catholic institutions. Mm -hmm. And um, I specifically remember, and I'm ashamed of this, keeping my mouth shut in college. Um, I felt extremely alone. Um, I felt that if I 
were to open my mouth in class and uh, sort of proclaim myself as the class conservative, I'd be called the class Nazi. I'd be called the class misogynist, the, the class uh, homophobe. You know, you name it. Those names would get thrown around. Well, what you're saying is that we the, the party was branded as homophobic. You're right. White supremacist. Wasn't that the whole thing? Yeah. Yeah. And, and especially on a college campus. Um, I was afraid because I have to interact with these people on a daily basis. If I am uh, explaining my conservative views in class, um, I don't want a reputation for myself to be made around class or on the, the campus that I'm at. So I had to keep my mouth shut. Um, I had an internship, a, a very um, big political internship, and nobody knew about it. Um, I would go to my internship, come back to class, keep my mouth shut. I specifically remember writing a paper my junior year defending Obamacare because I was worried that if I had even the slightest hint of conservatism in my paper that I would get downgraded. I already knew that my professors, especially in the political science department, which was my major, were extremely liberal and despised anyone who got in the way of that. And um, I felt extremely alone. I, and it wasn't until after I was done with college that I realized that there were way more conservatives on campus than I ever could have imagined. They just all were keeping their mouth shut just like me. And if I would have seen maybe just one other person on college campus who was willing to take a stand and let their conservative views be known, I would have been a hundred times more likely to speak up. But because everyone else was in the same situation as me, we kept our mouths shut. We, we, we sat in the back. We, uh, we kind of just went with the flow and, and, and got by as, as conservatives in a, a clearly outnumbered environment. Um, I'm I'm ashamed of it. It wasn't until I started working with Turning Point and Turning Point Action, I should say, that I, I realized that on college campuses all across the nation, there are so many conservatives on, this, on that campus that are just like me. We would set up students for Trump tables on campus, have that big Trump flag, and the, I would see the biggest smiles on kids' faces to, to, for them to realize that, okay, I'm not alone, my opinion does matter, and that it's more than okay to support a candidate like President Trump when everyone around me, top to bottom, administration, professors, your friends, your sororities are telling you not to. So um, that was my college experience. And um, every day since then, I've been trying to rewrite uh, some of the wrongs and uh, kind of fix the regrets that I have in being silent and complacent on a college campus. Any idea, and I don't imagine you, you may not know this at all, but any idea in your mind of how many people, you may, I wonder what percentage of people uh, are uh, young folks are in the position that you were in. Uh, I mean, is this running rampant through the system? I think so. And I think that that's just based on this generation, right? Our parents grew up in the Reagan era. So our you know, Gen Z specifically, um, their parents grew up with the Reagan brand of conservatism and mm -hmm. um, they're mostly raising their children right. Um, so I think just based on that alone, um, it, you can sort of say to yourself that there are a lot of conservatives on campus now, as far as a percentage, I mean, that that's really difficult. And it also depends on the area. But um, I, I think that uh, with every passing year, more uh, conservative families are popping up just based on that, that demographic alone that run Gen Z, uh, uh, mm -hmm. their parents grew up with conservatism. Now, the millennials, um, that's not the case. Their parents grew up in the 60s, the free love, you know, the hippies. Um, so um, in comparison to the millennials, I think run Gen Z is, is a far more conservative generation. 
Mm. You know, I can relate to everything that Brett is talking about right here, right now, because of my own two that are 17 and 19 now, and growing up in the Reagan era that he spoke about, I mean, I totally, totally get it, uh, and what's happened, but uh, it's very eye-opening what we're talking about uh, in the way that uh, this is so important, so important, because people are being shamed and they're not speaking their truth. And what we started to see is the casual, oh, we can't let that conservative speak at the campus has become so widespread that it's normal behavior and predictable. This is a real problem out there because the more normal these kinds of activities become, the more dangerous they are to our nation. And let's face it, it's no longer a story. Do you remember some years back when there was a college campus episode and somebody was stopped from speaking at it? It was like a big story. It was all over the news. I'd, oh my God, they stopped him from speaking. Today, it is no longer a story and nobody really cares. Nobody wants to talk about it because it happens every day. It is the norm. And it would be more the unnorm for uh, a conservative speaker to do well in the college campus era. That's the danger of not speaking out to this stuff. And what happens is the Marxist left, they continue to take control and, and they make this momentum. It's, it's the, well, it's the old frog in the pot thing, people. We don't even know how hot it is yet. And yet we're boiling over. You see, that is, that is the problem. Very interesting. We're speaking to Brett Galaszewski. Galaszewski and uh, Brett is a senior field representative for Turning Point Action. Uh, I want to get more into the organization, the movement, what they're doing, and, and uh, grooming the new generation for a political office. Uh, I, and you know, this indoctrination where he actually, I, I love what he said. He said, well, I, I kind of apologize almost for not speaking up. I mean, how sad is that, that, a, you know, a young man, any of us, that myself or he uh, would be in that position that we would have to apologize uh, because we didn't want to be humiliated. We didn't want to be ridiculed. We didn't want to be, uh, you know, well, I mean, it's the exception from the rule. The rule was what they were teaching and jamming down our throats. And then uh, you know, the real twist of this thing is if you did stick out, well, you're a homophobic, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're a, a racist. You're a white supremacist. You're, you're just, you're one of those Republican. Ugh, that really was it. And remember, all that was branded against Trump. Remember, Trump was all that. Everything he wasn't was what they tried to brand him for. Now, Trump had a whole history in the business community. They knew he wasn't a freaking racist. I mean, come on. He dealt with everybody. He didn't care. He could care less. He would measure you by the size of your wallet. Did you have money to play in his business community? And could you help him? He was a, he was a smart capitalist. Nothing wrong with that, people. Come on. Nothing wrong with that. He's a capitalist. He's an American capitalist. It's funny because in his younger days, he was a Democrat for all those years and didn't know it. He, he like had a wake up, kind of could have had a V8 moment. Said, I'm in the wrong party, man. But he used, to, he used to hobnob with all those cats on the left and the right. Remember that? He didn't care. Black, white, yellow, green, Jewish, whatever, man. You, you, you got anything we can do something? This, you know, it's when you want to move the world and you want to shape policy and, you know, it's not a racist kind of thing. Oh, we're talking here today about Generation Z and oh, yeah, Generation Y, the millennials, all of the rest of it that, uh, 
is so vitally important after the baby boomers and the greatest generation. And I referenced that earlier with Tom Brokaw and that whole after World War II, the generation, the greatest generation. And, you know, and I, I feel at least a little renewed from today's program. I hope you do as well. I do. I really do. I really do. Speaking to Generation Z and really having some cool people on here helps. It's great medicine uh, for what we need here to understand there's a lot of hope, a lot of passion and a lot of promise for America. That's, that's, that's a message that I want to get up on the mountaintops and scream from. Say, yeah, you bet. Now, listen, why we're screaming, let's also scream about healthy cell, okay? So this is, this is the best thing you can take for your body. Throw, if, you got, if you take vitamins, take them and throw them away. You don't need them. You need healthy cell because it gets to the health of your cells. That's what it's all about. Uh, they have a product, Immune Super Boost which helps you. It's got zinc and echinacea and A and D and all the stuff in there to fight the virus, cold, COVID, whatever. Uh, immune Super Boost, highly, highly recommend it. They have REM sleep as well, helps you sleep better at night. This is all natural. This is stuff that helps you out in your life. You hear so many people on the network talk about it. All of our listeners, just our listeners, get 20% off the first order here. I just use the code out loud to get that. Uh, you go to healthycell.com forward slash out loud. And you'll get the discount right there. Or click the banner ad back at AmericaOutloud.com. Now, listen, we are on the fight for freedom, for liberty and justice for all back at America Out Loud. Uh, we say here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can indeed preserve future generations. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. We're, we're going to pause a moment. We'll be back again here with Brett Galashevsky. Love that name. You're listening to The Voice of a Nation. Listen to Malcolm, The Voice of a Nation, on iHeartRadio or our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. Each of us is born with 30 trillion cells that make us. These cells determine how we feel, perform, sleep, focus, and how long we live. And to live our best life, all we have to do is feed ourselves. But most food and supplements don't reach our cells, keeping us from reaching our full potential. Make every cell count with Healthy Cell. Founded with a mission to empower people to take control of their own health at the most fundamental level, Dr. Vincent Jampapa, world-renowned cell researcher and medical doctor, created supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. And that's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L. And use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. AmericaOutloud.com. Simply put, we're patriots who believe in Ronald Reagan's vision of a shining city on a hill. From sea to shining sea, you can listen in on iHeartRadio. Our free apps are on Apple, Android, or Alexa, or our world-class media player. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. The silent majority has spoken. We say, let the silent voices be heard. You can be the voice of change. 
contact our producer at liberty at americaoutloud.com liberty at americaoutloud.com What a great mission today. I, I love these kinds of programs because of, it's really where the rubber meets the road to me, uh, where it matters the most. And uh, we're speaking with Brett Galoszewski. And uh, Brett, you're right here with me, yeah? Yeah, I am. I am. I am. And uh, I must say, Malcolm, I've been watching a lot of, uh, on the local station here, they play Johnny Carson reruns uh, late at night. And uh, you sound like Johnny Carson. Sounds like I'm talking to Johnny Carson. I, I love Johnny Carson, man. You know, I grew up, again, listen, that's who I watched at night. That was before uh, Jay Leno. Remember Jay Leno, right? right? And uh, oh, yeah. now, now it's Jimmy Fallon, of course. But uh, Johnny Carson, yeah, now, you're t- now you're back in Ronald Reagan days. You know that. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. We've, we've stepped into the time machine here. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I used to watch it. Carson was cool. You know, I never heard that uh, connection to Carson. You know what I hear a lot every day, actually, uh, all the time, is I, I get the point here, Brett, that, uh, my God, you sound like Paul Harvey. Uh, do you remember the name Paul Harvey on radio? So I think it's because I'm a young person. Uh, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> okay. All right. So there you go. Uh, you look up later on. Promise me you go to YouTube and look up Paul Harvey. I'll tell you what, you will be blown away, Brett. I'm telling you. Look at some of the prophetic things. He, they're on YouTube, I promise you, uh, Paul Harvey. And you see some of the prophetic things and speeches he had. Oh, my golly. One time I got to have you back again, and we got to do a whole skit on Paul Harvey, Brett. Wow. I mean, you, sounds good to me. Oh uh, yeah, I'll have to look it up. Um, yeah, no, but to me, I close my eyes. It's like I'm talking to Johnny Carson. I feel honored. Oh, thank you, brother. Thank you. Uh, he was really uh, Johnny Carson. There's an era there. I mean, people that listen from that era can relate to Johnny Carson, of course. Remember Lucille Ball? You know, Cheers, all of that kind of stuff. I, I guess it is kind of you know, you know, it's, it's weird, Brett, for me because. I've always been a young guy and a young guy at heart, and I never grew up. You know what I mean? Like I've never. I people call me a juvenile delinquent. I take it as a compliment. You understand? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I I never grew up, right? So I'm like kind of one of those people that I guess I have that sense. I'll never kind of get old. I don't know how that works actually. When we start to get there, it's scary, isn't it? As you get older, huh? Oh yeah, and you know, for this generation, it's 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 really difficult for someone to say like, oh, you're you need to set the building blocks for the generation uh, after you. And as a young person, you think, yeah, okay, I'm I'm, you know, I'm a 19 year old kid or whatever it is. I don't need to be doing that. But um, I think that that uh, that stigma needs to end. We need to start, you know, as as Gen Z, we need to start thinking about the generation after us. Uh, Absolutely, and, and getting involved with local politics. Well, it's, it's certainly the responsible thing to do, and it is the patriotic thing to do for all of us. It's very concerning to me that, uh, I, you know, I give my life for my country, for sure. And it, that's, I mean, I, listen, I, I, Malcolm bleeds red, white, and blue, Brett. I, you probably know that at this point. Um, I am absolutely the definition of a patriot. I love our country. I love uh, everything about our nation. And but I also see that we're under fire, we're under duress, we're in battle. But that was always going to be the case with the framers and the way they put this thing together, this very, very unique experiment. 
a couple of things we need to do now in time here. I want to get to TPA, and I also want to talk about this. I, I so applaud your your um, honesty, and you are very honest, and I love it. When you talked about, I, God, you spoke to me so much, and people out there, when you said, well, when I was in school, I really apologized because I didn't speak up. And, you know, I think it was yesterday I used that whole saying about, you know, the communists. Uh, they, they came for the communists. Uh, they speak up. They came for the Jews. They didn't speak up. They came for the trade unionists. They didn't speak up. And then they came for me. You remember that, right, Brett? And there was nobody left, right? You know, right. that kind of a thing. And I guess part of our message here is that we all need to speak up. But let me share with you. So my two uh, kids, again, 17 and 19, um, my daughter is 19 in college and uh, 17 year old is a senior in high school, to give you an example, Brett. And they went through the same sort of thing you did uh, through all of school where they were being ridiculed, intimidated, but they decided to leave it secret. Same thing you did. I, I can appreciate what you just talked about because I'm telling you right now, they left their personalities. They didn't even on social media, they kept themselves private. They used other uh, uh, names and acronyms and things out there. So they uh, were smart in that way to hold their privacy. But in school, there was an intimidation factor with the professors and the teachers and the class itself. And they were decided to, it was always a battle whenever Trump came up. They, it, I think they tried to battle it a couple of times, but then they realized that they were so overwhelmed and outnumbered. It really wasn't worth their energy to be ridiculed and all. So then they decided to do what you did and they stayed uh, sort of out of the the riff, the the noise, I guess, best way to say it. I don't know. So what is the right way? I'm just I'm just wondering and thinking out loud with you a minute here, Brett. What is the right way? Do we expect like my two kids, you, you others, do, should we be speaking up and telling people to shut the hell up? We're going to have our word. Do we just do we just lay down and let them run rampant through the uh, the government school system and the universities and deal with it? How do we push back, brother? No, not at all. Um, it, it starts with uh, students on college campuses who are not afraid to speak up. And we were lucky enough this past election cycle to have an extremely uh, passionate group of students at major college campuses nationwide that, that did just that, that they weren't afraid to speak up. Um, I alluded to it earlier that if, if I had just seen one other person who wasn't afraid to speak their conservative mind on a college campus, and I felt that I had an ally with me uh, on campus, I would have been way more likely to speak up and, and kind of go against the social norms on that college campus and, and be a conservative, be a, a life, uh, a, a red breathing conservative on a college campus. I would have been more likely uh, to, to be that. But um, it, it really just starts with, with having people like that on college campuses, uh, having the uh, your uh, your your views, not be afraid to uh, come to light. And um, if you can be that person on a college campus to help other students realize that they're not alone, uh, that their opinion does matter, yeah. and that it's more than okay to, to be a conservative on a college campus when everyone around you is telling you not to, Amen. Uh, that's really where it all starts. Amen. And, um, yeah, it's kind of cool. We should say it's kind of cool. What did you say? Punk rock or something? Is that what you said? Punk rock, right? Yeah. Being a yeah. conservative on a college campus is punk rock. It's against the social norms. It's uh, it's anti-establishment. It's that's that's what's the that's what should be looked at as the cool thing. You know, being being a conservative on a college campus, being against the social norms. 
Yeah, I'm writing it down right now as we speak, buddy. Being a conservative on a college campus is punk rock. And I'm going to credit that to uh, Brett Galoshevsky. So that's you. And you get the credit for that, buddy. That's a great, ta- that's a great tagline. A great uh, Yeah, I love it. I love it. We got to brand that, man. Um, all right. So is that part of the outreach that you're doing at Turning Point Action? It is. So last election cycle uh, through our Students for Trump project, which we had uh, hundreds of Students for Trump chapters at major universities. And not only uh, were our Students for Trump chapters active on college campus and registering new voters and having conversations with people on college campuses by by having a table on campus with with Trump flags and Trump uh, uh, merch to give out. Uh, but we also activated hundreds of conservatives together on a weekly basis for door knocking events that we held. So from August through November in key areas all over the country, uh, we put together 10 extremely successful Super Saturday events, we call them, in uh, eight different states. And uh, we set our sights on districts that we felt were flippable, meaning that there was a uh, a chance that President Trump won this district in 2016, but it was currently represented by a Democrat in the House. And we went to those districts and we gathered hundreds of college conservatives together to go door knocking. And um, you know, I know for, for many of you that are listening that are parents, you know how difficult it is to get a young person to wake up early on a Saturday morning to do anything, uh, let alone door knocking. And knowing that, uh, we developed a blueprint for really ensuring a successful turnout at these events. We added two things to the equation. One, um, a high caliber speaker and uh, two, free food. Um, We would usually bring in a pretty high caliber speaker. Charlie Kirk would come speak at a lot of these events. Uh, We had Roger Stone come speak at our event that we had in Miami. Uh, And uh, we we would, you know, someone who would draw a crowd and we would have the speakers come up, fire the crowd up. And then as they're walking out, we would give everyone a lockbook of 20 to 30 houses and, and tell everyone, you know, go hit these houses, go stick some lit up on, on their doors. And then uh, we invited everyone back to a local restaurant. We tried to always find a conservative owned restaurant if we could, but we would invite everyone back to a local restaurant and uh, take care of their lunch tab as a thank you. So we added these incentives because we were trying to cater to the first time door knocker. And uh, we did a pretty good job at that. It was pretty cool to hear stories of groups of college friends that uh, would door knock with us for the very first time at our event. And then the following weekend, they went out and door knocked with their local GOP. Uh, Are we seeing any headway for this uh, battle you and I have been talking about? We're starting to. uh, And I think it starts with the work that our organization is doing. Um, We've recruited hundreds of of precinct committeemen uh, in in a lot of key areas of the state or uh, of the country. I mean, Um, we've we've helped fill vacancies uh, for precinct committeemen in Michigan and Arizona and Florida and North Carolina and Georgia, really key swing states. And um, you're starting to see young people who are just coming off the first time that they voted. They're coming off their first political heartbreak. And they're upset and they want to do something about it. And uh, I give a lot of credit to our generation for understanding that the way that you combat this resentment that you feel for what happened in 2020 is by getting involved at the local level. I think uh, something that the older generation uh, didn't really do a good job of, of making clear to our generation is the importance of the local level. Yes, the the congressional level and yes, the race to the White House, very important. I'm not going to discredit that. But where are decisions affecting you and those around you the most at the local level? Yeah, 100%, 100%. All these races at the local level, that is really the key and the answer. And in fact, Brett, 
that is part of the challenge that a lot of local was uh, the Democrats really cleaned up there in a lot of local races. So a lot of your mayors, a lot of your local uh, uh, committees and uh, chair people, that a lot of that was a Democrat uh, uh, run. And but it really is at the local level. I, I think people are starting to see that the closer it is to you, the power structure, the more control over your life they have. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, absolutely. And um and, and I do want to make it clear that, you know, outside of this conversation, um, I'm finding out that almost nobody knows what a precinct committeeman is. And that's half the battle. Um, that's another thing that the, the party um, has, has not done well with making known that precinct committeeman spots are there for the taking and anyone can do it. Um, it it's by far the most overlooked and undervalued position in politics, which is a major problem. And, and we can get into this in a little bit, you know, considering how integral these roles are to building a strong and active party. In fact, they say that there's about 400,000 precincts nationwide mm -hmm. and only about 200,000 of them have a precinct committeeman. And uh, in some counties I've come across, especially college areas, that number is closer to an 80% vacancy rate. Wow. This is where the issues are lying, that there's a lack of involvement, especially in precinct committeemen slots. Well, I mean, this is where the rubber meets the road right here. A website that people can get more information is going to be tpaction.com? Yes. And specifically, if you want to know more about being a precinct committeeman, uh, you can go to tpaction.com slash PC. And we have an awesome resource uh, on that website that where you can click on your state, you can find out what the equivalent is of a precinct committeeman in your specific neck of the woods. And you can actually sign up there right on the spot. And we can have a member of our staff reach out to you and help you and assist in the process of you becoming a precinct committeeman. We can find out if your precinct is vacant or not. Mm -hmm. uh, we can help make the connections for you uh, to get involved. Um, and we, we sort of help in that process because, again, this is something that's you know, very little known, um, that, that being a precinct committeeman, uh, some of the strongest yeah. conservatives I know don't even know what a precinct committeeman is. Now, so it's very impressive what you got here as well. I'm on the site right now, become a precinct chair, become a grassroots warrior today. Uh, and it's set up so nice, so easy. It explains to you exactly what it is, the movement, what is it, how, how why is it important? And then, as you said, click the state and involvement, and it's that simple and easy. This is about, I like this, and I like what Kirk has done with the group as held and the work you're doing, Brett, terrific. This is really about bringing the power back to the people. That's really what's happening here, uh, Brett, right? I mean, it's engaging people at the local level and bringing the power back and making it so that they know they can be a part of something unique and they can make a difference. And this is how it's done, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it goes back to the idea that this is more than just joining your party. Uh, this is having an influence on it. This yeah. is a chance for you to be the CEO of your neighborhood for the Republican Party, to be the point of contact, to help people take that leap and, and getting involved. And, and in a lot of cases, you being the precinct committeeman and the point of contact, uh, sort of leading the charge in your neighborhood, for somebody you know, a couple blocks away from you, you might be the only point of contact that they'll ever have to the party. And that, that should be an honor. That really should be an honor and, and a chance for you to help them stay informed of what the party is up to, help them get involved. And, and not only is there a leadership aspect to it, uh, you, you get some serious voting power that is uh, exclusive to precinct committeemen. And that's where the influence part comes in. You get to vote for party leadership. You get to vote on party platform, party mm -hmm. bylaws endorsement of candidates at the local level, in mm -hmm. some cases, verifying election results. Uh, 
the possibilities are endless uh, with being a precinct committeeman. And it, the amount of commitment you put into it is really up to you. Yeah, I'm going to get a link up uh, to this, uh, what uh, what we're talking about right now, what Brett is talking about, the tpaction.com forward slash PC, uh, because this really is where the rubber meets the road to become a precinct chair. Uh, so it's easy to connect to that. That'll be right on americarotloud.com. Uh, my fellow Americans, you can get it there. Uh, Brett, we have to do this again. You are absolutely terrific. Uh, and uh, I really appreciate all the work you're doing out there, brother. And we'll be here as a resource and help you any way we can along the journey, brother. Thank you, Malcolm. And, and if you don't mind, I'd like to kind of say one more thing. Um, it's it's going to be up to our generation to advance the movement. And it starts at the precinct level. So here's my call to action to all you freedom-loving patriots out there. If you want to see change uh, in this world for our generation and, and your kids' generation and even their kids' generation, it starts with you and it starts at the precinct level. If you have friends that you know that are just as passionate as you and they're not at GOP events, they're not thinking about and getting involved, they're not even a precinct committeeman, it's up to you to be that voice that helps them take the leap and get on board. Yeah. And you know, one thing, uh, the last thing I wanna hit on is that political energy is contagious and it can go a long way. And uh, it, it, we need to be the ones who have that power to spread our political passion on others. And, and by creating a network of strong precinct chairs, we can be the ones to keep that passion going for decades to come. What a, what a great, great voice here. I mean, just incredible. We're speaking to Brett Geloszewski, and uh, uh, I love his message and his call to action at the end of this thing. So, so important. Uh, and again, the website uh, is uh, that, that special link that he mentioned is uh, tpaction.com forward slash PC. Uh, become a precinct chair. Definitely want to push this out and help them. And I want to get a link up as well and get the word out there. Um, big thank you to Brad. Too. What a great program. Uh, it should, I hope everybody has a little jump in their step, actually, and that they understand that people are not entirely asleep at the wheel as you think they are. Uh, there is uh, movements uh, uh, that are happening here and people that understand the seriousness of the moment and are taking matters into their own hands really is what we want. Uh, talking today to run uh, Generation Z and uh, again, Turning Point uh, Action uh, USA is just terrific. The work that uh, Charlie Kirk has done and uh, Brett uh, Galaszewski here, fantastic. It, it is uh, not all bad news uh, as you consistently hear out there. Uh, let's make a difference. Let's get involved. Let's do our part. Let's, that's what I say, get involved. That's the end and call I give to you every day. So it really is that important. Thank you again for being with me on the mission. It's time to get involved and get loud.